Hi, welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we jump into the scriptures and look at elements of them that make them become real for us and try and draw more power from them into our lives because of that. Because the scriptures are real and they're about real people and real prophets and a real God and our relationship with him. And since we're real people, that's powerful. And uh, I just want to take a moment to thank all of the prophets who have sacrificed so much both to do God's will, but also then to record God's will and those who have worked so hard to, to make it possible for us to have God's word so that we know these things and can have that power. And also to, to testify of those prophets representing God and including our prophet today, President Nelson, who I testify is truly God's mouthpiece and a man of God and is representing God to us today. This is one of our short casts. This is just me talking a fairly brief uh, little thing today. I just have one theme that I want to make sure that we're kind of carrying and tracing and, uh, and working throughout the scriptures to be able to, to see and notice as we go along. So this won't be a long one, but I think it's an important one. Uh, you may have noticed in the last couple of readings that we have genealogies. We get the genealogy, long genealogy in Moses chapter 5 and Moses chapter 6. We get it in Genesis, this idea of tracing genealogies. And sometimes we get bored with that part, but I hope it will make you stop to think about how these genealogies demonstrate that this is a family history and that we will think of it as that in that way. This is our family history, by the way. When you're reading about Noah or Enoch or Adam, those are our ancestors. This is our family history, and I hope we'll feel that kinship with them uh, and recognize the, the family relationship and the family history. Uh, and uh, I think we'll also think of it in terms of a different kind of a family history. We have a couple of kinds of families we can talk about, but maybe we can just emphasize this as we're, if we were to look in Moses chapter 6. And we get to the part where after it's gone through all the, the different people, uh, Jared and Enoch and Mahalil and so on, it gets in verse 22 to where it says, and this is the genealogy of the sons of Adam, who was the son of God, with whom God himself conversed. Now, part of the point is making is that Adam knew God and could teach them with the sure knowledge of God. But it's also this point of that we are the direct and lineal offspring of deity, uh, that we are related to God, and this is highlighting that, uh, and that's important. But I think there's something else that we want to kind of trace. So this is going to tie together a few weeks' worth of, of scriptural readings or lessons to, to bring uh, us to the point where we, um, we just can, can understand a theme that I, I want to make sure we're understanding. So you may remember that we've talked over the last little while about the time when Enoch or when Adam was sacrificing uh, and an angel came to him and and told him about why he was sacrificing. And uh, I believe so that's in, in chapter five. But I believe that then chronologically, we would jump from there all the way to the uh, end of chapter six, where we get this story of. God talking to Enoch, or Adam and telling him he needs to be baptized, and um, Adam asks why, and we had this wonderful discussion about being born again that we did a short cast on before, uh, and so on. And I think that's when he, he, well, we know that's when Adam is baptized is in that discussion, but I think that fits in in 
Moses chapter five, where God has been teaching him about sacrifice. So I think that's the same thing. And you, I hope you'll remember, if not, I would uh, suggest you go back and listen to that podcast uh, on uh, Enoch and Adam's teachings about being born again. I think it's a really important concept, a really important idea, and you won't understand our continuing to trace the covenant uh, like we're going to do in this short cast and a couple of others if you don't understand that part and the importance of covenant and rebirth and the relationship with God that it sets up. But that is part of making a covenant, and we get at the end of chapter 5, um, in, in at the end of Moses chapter five, uh, so it, it jumps around a little bit. You get it in Moses five uh, at the beginning where uh, they have this, uh, they make it an offering or they are learning and they make sacrifices and so on. Um, and then you, you get, uh, I think then that you should jump towards the end, it, you get interrupted by this whole thing about uh, Cain and Abel and Adam's children choosing to follow Satan rather than God. And then I think you get back to that story at the end of chapter five and verse 58, where it says, and thus the gospel began to be preached from the beginning, being declared by holy angels, sent forth from the presence of God and by his own voice and by the gift of the Holy Ghost. And thus all things were confirmed unto Adam by an holy ordinance. What holy ordinance? I think it's that baptism that we are talking about. And the gospel preached and a decree sent forth that it should be in the world until the end thereof. And thus it was. Amen. All right. So we have that holy ordinance that's that's confirms the covenant with Adam. And that's when he is born again. And then we get more of that story being told when Enoch teaches us what he knows about Adam. And he's telling us more of that story. And that's the whole God commanding him, and he, he teaches him about being born again, and he's baptized. But we're going to focus now on what he says at the very end of this. So remember that the, the baptism and uh, is all about overcoming death because of the opportunity for life, both from the fall and from the atonement of Christ, and thus we're born again and have life in this wor world and more life in the world to come. And if we get to the very end of that chapter, Moses chapter 6, we get God saying to Adam, and thou art after the order, at, that tells us again, this has to do with priesthood ordinances, right? You get this order and uh, that, that same root in all of them. Priesthood ordinances create the order that's all possible because of um, God's power, right? That's what the priesthood is, is God's power. So now thou art after the order of him who is without beginning of days or end of years from all eternity to all eternity. That, that's happened to him because he's been baptized and received the Holy Ghost and been born again. So this order of the priesthood is available to men and women. Uh, it's, it's simply um, being able to hold the priesthood. Or, I mean, uh, not hold the priest. Sorry, it's not holding the priesthood. It's simply being able to um, partake of uh, priesthood ordinances that change who we are. Now, let's read the next verse. Behold, so this is because he's part of this order, because he's been born again by, through baptism and the receiving of the Holy Ghost um, and that covenant. Behold, thou art one in me, a son of God, and thus may all become my sons. Amen. Now, we need to make sure we're clear here that that when they, and I don't know what language they're speaking here, but at least the way it works out in Hebrew, um, and in all of the languages that were similar and around at that time period, when you say son, it's not necessarily a male. Um, there is no separate word for mixed children 
all right, descendants. There's a word for like children and meaning you're not an adult, but meaning you are my child, you're my descendant. If it's mixed gender, you can say you're all my daughters and then you know it's all females. But if you say my sons, then you don't know whether it's all males or it's mixed male and female. That's just linguistically the way it works out. It's not a, a anything huge. It's just the way it works out. And so I think realistically, we should translate this to be say, behold, thou art in me a child of God, and thus may all become my children. Amen. Now, we know we're all children of God already, but we become children in a new way as we partake of that covenant. And we've talked about that before, and we'll continue to talk about it. And if you want to get even more about it, then um, I have some uh, podcasts that you can get into that I'll, I'll talk about later. But the key here is that when we are begotten by God, we become his child in a new way. And the scriptural phrase we're going to keep reading is sons. And so I'm going to read it that way. But I want men and women to understand it's men and women, sons and daughters. All right. It's not just sons. But the key is that when you partake of and keep the covenant and are transformed through the covenant by the atoning power of Christ to be a different creature begotten of Christ, then you are a child of God in a new way. And that is associated with the covenant all over the place in lots and lots and lots of places. Let's just read the next verse here. And it came to pass, so now we're in chapter 7, verse 1. And it came to pass that Enoch continued to speech, saying, Behold, our father Adam taught these things, and many have believed and become the sons of God, or the children of God, meaning they have been begotten because they have made this covenant, truly made it, and been transformed. And many have believed not and have perished in their sins. And that's one of the great themes of the book of Moses is that you have the choice to choose. And most of Adam's children chose to make a covenant with Satan. They became children of Satan. Those few who chose to, be, to make a covenant with God became children of God. And that becomes a, a really big thing and an important thing. Um, so that if we were to continue on into chapter 8, we get this uh, being taught specifically about Noah and his sons in verse 13, Moses chapter 8. And Noah and his sons hearkened, and actually it means his sons and his daughters in this case. And Noah and his sons hearkened unto the Lord and gave heed, and they were called the sons of God. And when these men, so in this case it's emphasizing his sons, I think if Noah had daughters, I think that that original thing includes both of them. But now the sons, it's going to continue with specifically his sons. When these men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, the sons of men saw that those daughters were fair, and they took them wives. And so you keep getting this distinction between the sons of men and the sons of God. And the distinction is whether someone has made a covenant with God and is keeping it or not, right? So you see how important this theme of covenant is in making and keeping covenants, and it determines who is really your child. Well, let's just go back to chapter seven a little bit when we have Enoch and God talking about uh, why God is weeping and he's weeping because of the terrible things that are going to happen to those who have decided to follow Satan. Um, so let's read what we get here. Verse 33, and unto thy brethren have I said, and also given commandment that they should love one another and that they should choose me, their father. But behold, they are without affection and they hate their own blood. So they're not loving each other and they've not chosen God their father. So we're going to see that then that changes who their father is as we keep going. He talks about his fire being kindled against them. And because he's, he's holy, 
He's going to have to come out in, in destruction against them because of how wicked they are. Now we get to verse 37. But behold, their sin shall be upon the heads of their fathers. Satan shall be their father, and misery shall be their doom, and the whole heaven shall weep over them. Even all the workmanship of mine hands, wherefore should not the heavens weep, seeing these shall suffer. You see, because they are covenanting with and choosing to follow Satan, he becomes their father. He is, they're becoming new creatures that are worse, more carnal, more sensual, more devilish, more like Satan. And so Satan is their father and suffering is the result. And that causes their original father, who in a way is still their father, but not in the same way, to weep. And that's it, it being that's we're going to distinguish those people, the sons of men, from the sons of God, who are people who are begotten of God. This is again uh, stuff that's that's important. And you will, if you look for this theme uh, in scriptures, you're going to find this all over the place. That covenant and being begotten of God is uh, and being a child of God is is tied up all over the place. We're going we're gonna to see it everywhere. I'm just going to bring in one other place, and then we're going to get back into the Noah story. One other place, this is in John chapter 1, where um, John uh, talks about the Christ, or the Word, coming into the world, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not, and there's connotations of overcoming it. It doesn't overcome it, and uh, we'll do that more next year. Um, and so he talks about that and, and then how John comes and John bears witness of the light. He wasn't the light, but he sent to bear witness of the light, but the light does come and it lighteth every uh, one that cometh into the world. And then let's look at verse, uh, 10, he meaning Christ was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not, right? This is the same thing as Satan or, or uh, Adam's and Eve's children, mostly chose not to follow, choose God and follow him, but chose to follow Satan. They know him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him to them, he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's the same teaching, the same idea. Uh, and so it's important that we trace this in the Old Testament because we've had this covenant established with Adam and, and most of his children don't make it, but it continues on through Seth's line, Enoch's line, and that gets us down to Noah. And we know that Noah made the covenant and we've had the discussion in the other podcast that we've done this week about Noah being uh, perfect in his generation. And I think that that has um, connotations, again, of covenant and being perfect in keeping the covenant and so on. So now then we have the flood and the destruction, and we've talked about that in the other podcast, but I want to um, keep talking about uh, this covenant aspect. So now we're going to get in Genesis, Genesis chapter eight. And after the flood is over and the ark lands, and, and it's very nice that uh, you know, the ark lands so that while well, they have a chance to, or when they need to get out and build a place to live, they at least have the ark they can still live in, right? God's taking care of them. You still have this place to live in. Um, but Noah and his sons, we're, we're in chapter 8, verse 18. Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them, every beast and every creeping thing. Then verse 20, and Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast. Now, they don't have a lot of extra beasts laying around. We often forget that they are, they're actually seven of every clean beast, so they have a couple extras there, but still, it's pretty precarious. But this is so important that he's going to take of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offer burnt offerings on the altar. So this is an ordinance. This is a ritual. 
My guess is it's a covenant renewal. They didn't have the sacrament the way we did. The way they renewed the covenant was by continuing to make the offerings that God asked them to continually make. For us, the continual one is the sacrament, renewing covenant. So I'd guess it's the same thing. Now look at verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. That's Old Testament phrase for the idea is that uh, the covenants are, are burnt offerings, right? And you actually eat part of the, I mean, the sacrifices are burnt offerings, sorry. And you actually eat part of the sacrifice. You, you cook it and you eat it. Uh, but the, the, some of the imagery is that the smoke of it goes up to heaven. And that's how God encounters your offering, because that's the part that gets up to heaven is the rising smoke and the smell that's with it. And so that God smelling the savor of the offerings is a symbol of God uh, recognizing and partaking of that offering and accepting it. Or sometimes they'll say that they stink to him and that's what you don't want. That means he's not accepting it because it wasn't a true offering. Anyway, the Lord smelled a sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Does this sound like uh, what we got in, in Moses and Enoch talking about Adam's discussion with God, where he says, you know, because uh, you were conceived in sin, sin conceiveth in your heart, right? And that's why you need to be born again. You remember that discussion? This is the same idea. Um, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. Right. So what he's saying is because you're as Noah goes through the ritual of renewing his covenant with God, God accepts it and says, OK, I'm, I'm not only going to accept this and we renew our covenant, I'm going to renew or reestablish the covenant. And this is a new dispensation. It's often reestablished in a specific way with a specific thing. I'm going to reestablish it with a specific new part in it. Right, and we read about that in chapter nine. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Right. That's part of the covenant blessings, right? We know that's part of the covenant. And he says that other animals will be afraid of them, and so on. Then getting to uh, verse eight. And God spake unto Noah. Uh, well, so we get back to verse seven. So he has this this section in here where he says, Don't eat blood. Uh, that's symbolic of life, and so on. Don't shed blood of mankind then verse seven and so this is how you can tell we're getting back to that, that was kind of an interruption of the train of thought so he repeats in verse seven what was in verse one and that tells you we're back on track to where we were after that kind of little segue or or parenthetical thought verse seven and you be fruitful and multiply bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein so it's both a command and, a, and this covenant blessing verse eight and god spake unto noah and to his sons with him saying and i behold I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you. That's interesting. So the covenant in a way involves all the creatures, of course, they're not ascension in the same way. And so, uh, or agency in the same way. So it's not really with them, but they're included in it in a way because of what the covenant is. And with every living creature that is with you of the fowl of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more a flood to destroy the earth. So when Noah renews his covenant, because they are sons or, and daughters, they are children of God because they've made and kept the covenant, as opposed to the sons of men who were trying to, and some of them drew away the, the daughters of uh, Noah's uh, sons, or right? Noah's granddaughters end up marrying out of the covenant. That's part of that story, right? And you get this contrast between sons of men and sons of God, or in other words, covenant keepers and those who make covenant with the wrong person. 
But now we've got just those covenant keepers and he's going to establish this covenant with them. And part of the covenant now includes he's not going to destroy everyone by flood anymore. All right. And then we get verse 12. And God said, this is the token of the covenant. Now let's talk about tokens for a moment. In ancient Near Eastern culture, when you partake, uh, when you make a covenant with someone, well, let's just say this, all ordinances, whether they be ordinances of God, or you may make, and these wouldn't be holy ordinances, priesthood ordinances, but they would have a kind of an ordinance with each other. Same way we have like laws and ordinances, right? They would make an ordinance with each other. Um, they would always include a symbolic action, just like our rituals or our ordinances always include a symbolic action. When they made them with each other, they would include a symbolic action. And you'll get more into this. So as we get into the Abrahamic covenant, which I think is what we do next week, uh, the podcast there, where we talk about it, Abraham chapter 15 and so on, you're going to have several people talking about this more in depth than I will now, but there's usually some kind of uh, a ritual action where you say this symbolic action, it's symbolic of what happens if I keep or if I break the covenant. So some things are symbolic of what happens if you break the covenant, like when uh, they tear their coats when they make a covenant with Captain Moroni and say, we'll be torn like this uh, if we don't keep this covenant. Uh, and, and there are other things that happen if you do keep the covenant. Those are tokens of the covenant. They are symbols that teach you about what is going on with the covenant. They symbolically teach about the covenant. Um, but they become part of the ritual. They're a physical gesture, a physical thing you do that are part of the covenant, but they symbolically teach about the covenant at the same time. In this case, the token is that God will, there will be a rainbow, right? That's the token. God said, this is the token of the covenant, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for a perpetual generations. I do set my bow on the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is the token of the covenant, which I've established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And notice how serious he is. He, he talked about it like he, he repeated himself like three or four times there. That's how serious he is about the covenant. Now, this covenant then is the same covenant that will be reestablished in a different way with some different things added to it, but still the new and everlasting covenant, the same covenant Adam had. We've now traced it through Enoch to Noah, and we'll start with Abraham next time and see how that covenant goes with Abraham and from there to the house of Israel. So tracing this covenant is one of the great themes of the Old Testament, and we're trying to help you keep track of it, but also see what it has to do with you and your being part of the uh, new and everlasting covenant, which we'll discuss in much greater depth uh, next week's uh, lessons. Uh, but I have lots of resources for you on that. Um, let me just say, it for just studying the Old Testament in general, any uh, kind of studying of the Old Testament in general, I'm trying to create lots of resources. You can go to the outofthedust.org is the website, out of the dust, all one word, outofthedust.org. And you'll find there a page that has Old Testament resources. You'll also find a page about the book of Abraham to help you understand that better. But there's a page about the Abrahamic covenant. And I've got links to articles on there. Uh, and links to lots of uh, fireside that I've done and podcasts that I've done and all sorts of other things that I've done to uh, help you 
uh, understand the Abrahamic covenant and what it has to do with you because you are part of the Abrahamic or new and everlasting covenant. And that's part of what uh, these shortcasts have been, where we talk about what it meant uh, to be born again, what it means to become a Zion person, which is tied up with that being born again thing. And then this little shortcast has to do with that as well, the whole continuing on uh, of the covenant and becoming children of God uh, because of that covenant. And hopefully we're now able to see it traced from Adam down to Abraham. By the time you do Abraham's reading next time, you'll be able to do that well. Uh, and so I hope that it's helpful for you because we are so fortunate to be able to be part of this covenant and to have our natures changed by having a God who is willing to bind himself to us and send his son to sanctify us so that we can be changed and become more like him and less like the world. And that's possible because of the covenant and Christ coming to fulfill the covenant. And of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.